I'm reading this morning from the book of Mark, chapter 10, one verse of Scripture, verse 43. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be a servant. If you want to be great, you have to be a servant. I want to preach this morning a different title and a different message. We are not crazy. We are not crazy. Would you confirm to someone they may be wondering, but tell them you are not crazy. I'll explain the title in just a moment. According to heaven, some of you find that amusing because apparently you had questions about that individual, but it's all right. God measures greatness in terms of service, not status. In the world, how many people serve you means you're great. The more a person is served and catered to, wow, they're great. Look at their entourage. Look at the people making a big deal about them. But in the kingdom of heaven, it's not how many people serve you, but how many people do you serve that determines and measures your greatness? Jesus' disciples ask him about who would get the top spot in the kingdom. I should get it, one said. I want it. And Jesus interrupted their argument and said, this should not be among you. But he who wants to be great must be a servant. To be like Jesus is to serve people, to love people, not just in theory, but to serve. That's what he called himself, a servant. Knowing your gift and your call and understanding that everybody's not called to preach or to sing, but that you're called and you're good, it's in your DNA at doing something is important. But having a servant's heart is even more important than you using that gift for God. Because if you don't have a servant's heart, you'll be tempted to misuse the gift for only personal gain. You'll be tempted to excuse yourself from areas that you consider beneath you because you have such a great gift. But when you have a servant's heart, the more that the more that God raises you and blesses you, you want to use everything that you have now that you have some influence to serve people. Because in doing so, the only way you, you can serve God is by serving people. If you're not serving people, you're not serving God. Real servants make themselves available. They jump in when the need presents itself. Galatians 6 and verse 10 said that whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good, especially for the family of believers. You see, when you do little things, if you do little things, they will become great things if you do them like they're great things. Do little things like they're great things because God is watching Galatians 6 and verse 3 said, if you think you're too important to help, you're only fooling yourself. This is God's Word. You are not that important. If you think you are 
too important to help someone, somebody else. Let the little people do that stuff. You are fooling yourself. Jesus washed people's feet. Jesus took care of children and worked in the children's ministry. He laid His hands on them and He called them and said, Suffer the little children. I want to minister to them. I'm going to have a children's ministry. I'm going to get involved in it. Jesus cooked breakfast for the disciples. Over and over and over, he had a favorite meal for breakfast, fish and bread, and he cooked it over and over in the text. Jesus, the Son of God, God in skin, he could be performing miracles, but he never lost and never felt that something was beneath him, and he was serving, cooking, using cooking to serve his disciples. He served lepers. He healed. Nothing was beneath him. If your willingness... It's your willingness to do the not such great stuff that qualifies you to do the great stuff down the road. And all of heaven watches. Real servants are faithful. They don't leave a job half done. They don't make commitments and not show up. They don't stop at the slightest provocation because they don't feel like doing it anymore. But real servants are faithful to, to, to the end. They don't quit until the job is finished. Can others depend on you? Can God depend on you? Are there promises that you need to keep? Are there commitments that you need to honor? This is the test of your character. If you pass that test, you're in good company with Abraham. You're in good company with Moses. You're in good company with Paul, who was all of these men were called faithful servants. Jesus taught in the parable of the talents in, in Matthew chapter 25 that the servant who failed to use his one talent, that talent would be taken from him and give it to the man who had 10 talents. Jesus was not a socialist. He did not say, it's okay for you to sit there and do nothing with what you've got and you should expect more. No, sweet, humble, kind Jesus said, if you don't get up and use what I've given you, I take it from you and I give it to the guy who has 10 because he'll use what he's got. That is important. We need to teach that to this generation. It's very, very important. When you understand that if you fail to use what you have been given, you will lose it. Real servants keep a low profile because self-promotion and servanthood don't mix. There's something about the bright lights that can blind you. There's something about the people who serve in the shadows that God notices and God marks. Many start out as servants but end up as celebrities. They become addicted to attention. They have to have the praise of men. But it's the hidden parts of the body that are important. Even maybe more so than that which is seen. The heart, the lungs, the kidneys. You don't see them working on me. You only see the outer part. And that's kind of what the preacher is to the church and the singers are to the church. It's the outer part, but it's the hidden parts of the body of Christ that make miracles happen every Sunday for people's lives. 
The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, throw yourself into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. I tell you, that's the key to it. When Sharice and I came here over 30 years ago, we threw ourselves into the work of the master at Free Chapel. We were confident that nothing that we did was a waste of time or effort. We would pull up to these campuses, and back then it was the one on Browns Bridge, and then the one down the street, the old campus that's now our youth center and act in office administration and so on. And, and we would pull up to those parking lots with five children in car seats and a minivan. And some of those days were so long, we would have two Sunday morning services and a Sunday night, and Wednesday night was coming two days later. I preached four sermons a week, brand new sermons, and I like to have lost my mind. But I did it, but I did it because I read and my mom and dad raised us and her parents raised her to throw yourselves into the ministry. God sees it. God sees it. Philippians 2 and verse 25, Paul said, Aphrodite's my, my favorite, my fellow worker, ministered to my need. He said, I'm a, I'm a volunteer. I am someone who gives, and my fellow worker encouraged me. He blessed me. He touched me. You see, Jesus was intentional when he built a church out of volunteers. When he called Peter a fisherman and John and James and all of the disciples and he said, help me spread the good news all over the world. He could have, he could have just been a solo act. He didn't need them. But he said, I know what it'll take. It'll take people who have different gifts to reach different kinds of people. And if they'll all do their thing, I'll bring glory to the name of the Father because they're using their spiritual gifts. It'll be a volunteer organization. He could have hired marketers. He could have said, I tell you, I'm going to hire mar marketers and I'm going to have fundraisers and I'm going to hire hundreds and hundreds of staff and we'll get a worldwide ministry going. But instead he said, no, I'm going to take these dirty guys that some of them have BO, they're fishermen. And you know, I'm going to clean them up and I'm going to teach them through servanthood. I'm going to cook breakfast for them. I'm going to hang out with them. I'm going to live with them for three and a half years and I'm going to empower them and they're going to build the church that I've come to earth to save. The kingdom of God primarily rests upon the shoulders of volunteers. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul instructs pastors to mobilize every person in the church. Paul commands the pastors to train and equip every person in the room for a lifetime of volunteerism and servanthood in the church. In 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul felt so strongly about volunteering that he reminded the congregation there in Corinth that he was building that I am myself a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I volunteer. And he even brought up in that text, he said, I work a full-time job until this church gets established enough. I'm going to work 
a full-time job as a tent maker and I would not take anything from you. I just wanted to make sure you understood I'm a volunteer like you're a volunteer. That's pretty powerful when you think about it. The great apostle Paul said, I'm not too big. I'm not too important to serve people. The idea of volunteerism is found throughout all the New Testament. Most churches don't follow that pattern. And that's why they don't grow. That's what has grown this church. That is what made this church what it is today. It's precious volunteers. It's people serving at every campus. It's people serving behind the scenes. It's people serving all over these grounds. And they make ministry happen. In, in, in the scriptures, you know, I, I was thinking about how the, 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 the pattern today is so messed up. Somebody starts a church, they get it up to about 75 or 100 people, and they say, hey, we need to hire a pastor, and they hire a pastor to do ministry. And that one man is supposed to teach, he's supposed to preach, he's supposed to marry, he's supposed to bury, he's supposed to have vision, he's supposed to have uh, counseling, he's supposed to be the counseling center, he's supposed to be the administrator, he's supposed to get a budget, he's supposed to be over at the finances, he's supposed to have a nursery department, he's supposed to be the cleaner of the church, he's supposed to cut the grass. Hey, we need the church unlocked. Come on over. This is this kind of how we this is how it was. I was in a pastor's home like that. My dad carried keys, a key thing. He had about 50 keys. And when he'd walk around, and he'd have to unlock all the because they never dawned on the people. We're supposed to do that. They saw them as hired hands. And in a year, by the way, we'll only give you a year contract. And in a year, we're going to vote on you. And if we don't like you, we'll get rid of you and bring in another one and wear him out. Thank God we don't do that around here. Amen. The only way we vote is with our feet around here. Come on, say amen. I don't like that. I don't care. Amen. That's the, you go do your own church. Hallelujah. It's totally unbiblical to expect that. That's not God's plan. God's plan is different. God says, I want volunteers. I want people who are in the business world to do the business of the church. I want people who are good administrators to administer my church. I want people who have different gifts to use their gift if it's arts, if it's, in, if it's dance, if it's uh, a fellowship, if it's a great personality or internet or, or counseling or whatever it is. I want them to use their gift to touch the kingdom of God and to bless the kingdom of God. They're in this room right now. They're standing all over this campus right now. You see these guys behind these cameras and in at, at every campus we've got them and you saw them. They were at the doors as greeters. We don't pay those people. No, don't, I ain't going to pay all these people. We can't afford that. There's no way. The, these guys behind these cameras, they come in about 6.30, 7 o'clock at the latest. They're in their place. They're che checking their equipment. They come in, come in, come in. They, they can't even hear me now. I can talk about them all I want to. All they're hearing is bring that camera in, bring number three in. There's a guy there that's picking his nose. Get, get the camera off of that one and, and go over there to that one. That's how they talk. I've listened to them. Oh, man, what's that one doing? Look out. Why? he coming down the aisle and there that's the kind of stuff they do it and they touch 200 nations and everyone on that camera that camera that camera that camera that camera they do it as volunteers they don't have a ball and chain 
We don't whip them with a whip. They get here joyfully, joyfully and serve. The greeters wake up. And I know there are mornings when it's cold and there's mornings when they don't feel like being faithful, but, but, but volunteers are faithful. And they look over and they say, I don't want to go stand at that dumb door at the church. Those people are so grouchy, especially in the 11 o'clock service. Many of them are hungover. And they don't, they don't want, I, I got to open the door and you say hi and they just walk right by. And I don't know about that. But you know what? When you do it and you do it for the kingdom of God, you build a great church and lives are saved. It's not my honor invitation that gets them saved. It starts out in the parking lot with a greeting, with a hello, with a bus driver driving a shuttle saying, hi, how are you? God bless you. Good to have you today. It's amazing. God loves intelligent, joy-filled, energetic lay people, lay persons volunteering for the kingdom of God. I got to hurry and I'm going to. The doctrine of servitude is so important. People go church shopping. They just go around, you know, well, I like that one. He's got a good youth program. Check. Oh, the music is okay. That guy this morning was a little wild, but check. Uh, uh, let's see. Um, I like they got the best this and the best that. Check. Check. Thrill me. Feel me. Bless me. They're consumers. They only think the church is there to bless them. Paul would have approached it totally different. He said, when you walk in, you walk in saying, where can I deploy my gift? Give me the heavy end of the log. I'm ready to get involved. I'm ready to do the job. I'm ready to do something for Christ. We're supposed to be a group of servants who are so aware on a regular basis of what Jesus has done for us that we cannot see ourselves any other way but as a servant giving back for the glory of God. I want to thank every volunteer in this church. I want to thank every person who has signed up, who has chose to wear the towel, who has said, I'll answer the phones when they call by the thousands and thousands we get a year of phone calls from the television ministry and they're over there every Sunday and they're listening and they're praying and ministering to people. It goes on and on to the children's ministry, to the youth ministry, to the home group leaders that facilitate a small group. We have hundreds and hundreds of small group gatherings that happen every week and is someone hosting that, someone using the, the gift of hospitality and kindness and they're using their home for the glory of God. It's aligning fresh volunteers with their spiritual gifts. Listen to this carefully. You see, you have to discover your spiritual gift. It's the duty of every pastor to make sure every person in a church understands that there's something that they can do, that there's something they're supposed to do. It's their duty to deploy their spiritual gift in the kingdom of God. I don't know what yours is, but God can use you. In Hebrews 13 and verse 17, he said that the leaders of the local church, the pastors, will stand before God and give an account of how they led their churches. 
I live with that every day. How we lead our churches is through an army like I'm looking at this very moment. You have a divine capability. You have a spiritual gift. You may say it's not important, but nobody can say that what you can give is unimportant. God gave it to you. He wired it in your DNA and deploy it and use it for the glory of God and little as much when God is in it. God has this brilliant idea. He actually thinks that the spiritual gifts that He put in each of you is all that's needed to run the church. Think of it like this. This is what the Bible actually teaches. The church should be run like this. Shouldn't be a one-man show. It should be this. If you have leadership gifts, if you're a leader, a born leader, and you say, well, I'm a leader. Well, if you lead and you look back and you don't see anybody following you, you're not a leader. But if you are a leader, there's just people that just gravitate towards you, that there's just something about it. And, and, and you were born that way. It's just you either have it or you don't. And it's okay if you don't. You may have other gifts. You may have gifts that, that holds up the hands of that leader. See, God knows what He's doing. But let's say you have a leadership gift. God actually believes that leaders ought to be the leaders in the church. <laughs> he believes that if you have a teaching gift, the teachers ought to teach in the church. Isn't that profound? This is so... You, you need Hebrew and Greek to understand this. He believes that if you have administration gifts, you just love numbers, and that, that you ought to do the administration work of the church. I was telling them in the early morning service, we have people in our accounting department, that, which is so funny to me. We have a, an accounting department. Now, when we started, we, did, we had Dolores Hood who counted the money in the back. And, and, uh, but now we have an accounting. It blows my mind. To God be the glory. But, but, but what we did was we, we hired, now we have a CPA in there. We have a guy with a master's degree in there. And, and boy, do they know how to administer. You know, the, the, the preacher shouldn't be doing that. It ought to be an administrator. Because boy, when you don't turn in that receipt, even me, they call me, I need your receipt. I need your receipt. You know, they're that kind of people. You know what I mean? All right, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. But, but, but we need that. Come on, somebody. Say amen. They can put a budget together. When I get up and say, we're going to do this, they're over there punching numbers. How much is that going to cost? Where we got to have them? But that's how beautiful the body of Christ is. And then there's those that have the help gifts. They just love to help. They just cook, uh, they cook meals for, for grieving families. They, they, they just love to bake cookies and take it to, to an orphanage. They just, I don't know. You know, gifts, gifts, gifts. The helpers, let them do the help. But there's one called the givers. Did you know that one of the spiritual gifts found in the New Testament is the gift of giving. It's actually in your Bible that there are certain people who are called of God and they do not sing well necessarily. They can't preach. They don't need to do a small group. They don't need to be out in the parking lot as important as that is. They need to come to church and to get a message in their heart and go back into the secular work world. And you know what their gift is? They make money and they bring it back and they support the kingdom 
of God. Isn't that profound? And God says, God says, I don't want to put uh, 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 I don't want to put a round peg in a square hole. And so don't feel guilty if you can't do what somebody else can do. You just find your gift and you do what you can do and it all works out together. It's really amazing. I want to affirm the dignity of our volunteers. They are a special breed of people an endangered species that you don't see a lot of. And during the pandemic, we have been working so hard. It's a beautiful crowd here today. But we, we're so used to, for years and years, we were packed before the pandemic. We had overflow every Sunday in the 11 o'clock service all out there. Sometimes hundreds and hundreds of people were out there. And since the pandemic, the statistics say only 50% of the people who were attending church have recommitted back to the church. 50% have not come back. I think we're a little better than that around here, and I thank God for it, but I'm not content with seeing one seat empty. And they won't be empty much longer in Jesus' name because we're going to do what God has called us to do. But one of the things that we noticed in looking at it, and our team is always, always working on this, and I said to them, I said, well, let, let, let me, what, what, where are our people? Where are they? Where are they? And what we found was a lot of our volunteers, a lot of the people who were doing the work of the ministry, what happened is during the pandemic, it got so easy that they didn't have to get up and come. They could put on their pajamas and get a cappuccino and watch right online, and it's all right. I, I want to say, if you're in somewhere and you can't get here, that's one thing, but to be at home in your pajamas when church is going on, you need to get in church. You need to get back to church. You need to get, and, and, and here's, the, here's the thing, so what we found was that people are coming back, but they're not being consistent. They're hitting one service, and whereas they used to volunteer, so they would, they would be here. They had to be here. Everybody was counting on it. Everybody was, you got to serve, you got to serve. But now people have lost that spirit. And it's like, I'm going to sit up in the balcony and let somebody else do it. And all you people in the balcony just got thrown right under the bus. That's how it goes. You should get here sooner. Amen. <laughs> Listen to this. One of the great rewards of serving is fellowship. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, be steadfast and movable Keep abounding in the work of the Lord because your work is not in vain. Now, here's my sermon title. The Scripture said that Jesus made a promise in the book of Matthew chapter 19. He said, if you'll become a servant, there will be times when you'll feel like you're crazy. I'm going to paraphrase it. You're going to feel like, why am I doing this? Why am I pulling up into this church again? 
Why am I getting up out of the bed and volunteering? Why am I going to serve? Why am I doing it? Why am I writing another check? Why am I giving like I'm giving? Why do we do this? What is the point of it? Here's the point. One day, the pastor will stand before God and give an account of everything that God placed him over. But you as an individual will stand before the Lord at the believer's judgment. And God will ask you personally in that moment, what did you do for my kingdom? I will reward you personally for any and everything you ever have done. That day is coming as sure as we sit here this morning. It's coming for every one of us. Did you use the gift that I gave you? A pastor that wrote a book I was reading tells the story of getting a phone call. He built a worldwide ministry and this man called him who had supported the church financially in magnificent ways. And he's so thrilled and joyed in using his spiritual gift of giving that he said that he wanted to take the pastor out to lunch. And the pastor said, well, free lunch. He's going to pay. He's rich. And he went out to lunch with him and they were talking. And finally, the pastor said, why did you invite me to lunch? What's on your heart? I know you well enough. Something's bothering you. He said, pastor, I just need, I'll never forget this line. It's where I'm taking the whole sermon from, this, this one line. He said, I just need somebody to tell me I'm not crazy. My accountant thinks I'm crazy when he sees how much I give to this church. My attorneys think I'm crazy. My colleagues know that I could retire and kick back and play golf every day and live it up. But he said with tears in his eyes, but pastor, I love this church so much. I love what God is doing so much. And I love that I can play my part in it. My part, I joy in bringing those chicks and saying, run after the vision. And I just need every once in a while to know I'm not crazy. And I'm, I'm getting ready this morning at, in my little office down the road where I get ready. And it's 10 minutes to 9 a.m., 10 minutes to 9 a.m. And I'm thinking about I'm not crazy. We're not crazy. You volunteers are not crazy. This choir that gets up and sings every Sunday morning, they come and rehearse one night a week. They're not crazy. Sometimes they work all day, come straight there, haven't even had a bite to eat, and they rehearse. These, these volunteers all over this building, these people who follow up and make phone calls, these people in our campuses who set up equipment, they've been doing it in coming, they've been doing it in Midtown for three years, setting up big systems and cranking up things and setting it up. And then when y'all leave, they tear it all down because school's coming in the next day. They've been doing it for years. And I'm sure the thought on a cold Sunday morning would say, you must be crazy. You're not crazy. And I'm, I'm, I'm minding my own business, getting thinking through the sermon 
doing my hair with a hair dryer. And my little phone goes off. Bing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a text. And I saw the name of the person, but I was in a hurry and I was going to be late. So I didn't look at it immediately. And within, and it, it was a message to me and our executive pastor, Tracy page. And, and he called me within seconds and he said, did you read it? I said, did I read what? He said, oh, he said, pastor, so-and-so just said, I'm giving the church five million more dollars. You got to get more excited than that. That's it. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me, let me put it another way. Sit down. Do you think a man who would write a check for $5 million had to go through his brain. Am I crazy? It's just a church. But I want to say to that man, you are not crazy for obeying the Lord. And there will be souls in heaven. And I'm not crazy. And you know what? I can't write a $5 million check. Maybe you can't write a $5 million check. But if we can do what we can do for the glory of God, God says it's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. And if you'll do your part, I can't do everything, but I can do something. And if I'll do what I can do, God will be glorified. And one day when I stand before him, I'll hear him say, no man, listen to this verse, has given, put it up, in this life, anyone who leaves their houses, one translation, the King James says, their houses, their land, if they give it up, their brothers, their sisters, their father, their mother, that's family time. I have to go to church. I have to be involved in this. I'm giving up some family time. Jesus said, you want to know if you're crazy or not? Here's the answer. If you give that up for my name's sake, you shall receive a hundredfold in this life. One the King James says, in this life and the life to come. So get the King James up because that's what it says. It said you'll receive a hundredfold in this life, see it? And everlasting life too. That's in the Bible. God says you are not crazy. Forgiving and sowing and supporting and building your life around the house of God and being faithful and being consistent and then deploying the gift that God has given you. You are not crazy. I want to say to all the young people who are in the Bible college, a hundred strong. Oh, how many's in it now? I don't even know. 116. Stand up, college, college kids, stand up. 116, where are they? They're at every campus working. But you're not crazy giving the best years of your life to the kingdom of God. You are not crazy. Tell you how God works. What's your name? Skyler. The other day, I was riding down the road, and Sharice says, uh, and you pulled, you were at a, was it a stoplight, Sharice? A stoplight. And you didn't see us, but we saw you. 
And Sharice looked over at me and she said, that girl, there's something about her. And I was thinking the same thing. And she just volunteers and volunteers and vol drives a long ways, burning up gas, volunteers, volunteers, volunteers. And you don't know it, but you got hired in that car that day. You don't know it's coming yet. I didn't plan this, but I'm just telling you, you won't get out of that college without us making you an offer first because that's how God does it. I'm not doing that just to do it. We had already said, I said, I'm going to hire. That's how God does it, Skylar. You can't outserve the Lord. He'll bless you. He'll bless you. He'll bless you. He'll raise you if you'll be a servant. She's got a dream to be in ministry. Well, she's been using her gift, and now she's about to be in ministry. You ready? You are ready. Three years of Bible college. You're ready. Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Say, God, here's my gift. I know I've got something to offer. You put it in me. And Lord, I know I'm going to stand before the throne one day. And I'm going to answer to you. I know what's right. I know, I know I have something that I can do for your kingdom. So Lord, here's my gift. And I'm not just going to do, and those of us who are on staff, let's just tell the Lord right now, that's what I do as a career, but there needs to be a giving side to me that gives beyond that to the needs of people every day, serving people. Stand to your feet all over the room. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in this room today and you would say, Pastor Jensen, I'm not right with God today. I'm wasting my life away. I'm searching. I'm hurting. I'm broken, but I felt God's presence today. And I know at one time I had a secret desire that God could use me, that I could do something for eternity. Would you pray for me? I want to get in that position, in that place that God can use me. I want to give up my life for Him. I want to do His will. I want to do what He's called me to do. Pastor, you're preaching to me. You may be a teenager. You may be a young person. You may be a mom. You may be a dad. You may be someone that is searching for peace and hope. You're in this service today by divine appointment. God is calling you home. Pastor, I didn't do this in the second service. God just checked me and said, I'm going to save many this morning. It's been a long time since you felt the presence of the Lord, but I'm going to tell you, the greatest thing you can do with your life is give it over to Jesus Christ. You're not crazy if you raise your hand. You're not crazy if you walk down that aisle. You're not crazy if you turn your life over to Jesus. We're not crazy. 
Every head bowed, every eye closed. Pastor, pray for me. I need to get right with God today. Boldly lift your hand as high as you can get it right where you're standing right now. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. All over this room, all the way from the front to the back, raise it high and unashamed, high and unashamed. Every one of you that have your hand raised this very second, I want you as a tribute to all of the thousands of volunteers in this ministry. I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to come stand right down here. I want you to get out of your seat if you raised your hand. Just trust me. Just trust me. Get out of your seat and walk down that aisle and stand right here. Some things are going to get settled this morning. Some things are going to break off of you. Some chains are going to break. Some addictions are going to break. Some despair and depression and even suicidal thoughts and hopelessness and addiction. It's going to break this morning. Come on. A meaningless life is going to break. A, a no hope future is going to break. It's going to break off of you. Come on. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. Let them come this way. That's it. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Clap your hands, church. This is a miracle. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Anyone else, you've got to get it right this morning. You've got to repent. You know you're lost. You know you're far from God. Come on home this morning. Come on back. Come on running to Jesus. You say, but I failed him. It's all right. He loves you. He loves you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? All of our campuses, our pastors are coming. But let's just raise our hands toward heaven and pray this prayer. And say, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life. I believe you have a plan for me. You have a call on my life. It may be in business. It may be to make a million or 10 million or 100 million dollars. I don't care. I just want whatever I do to glorify you. I want you, oh God, to take my gift, to take my life, to take my abilities and get glory for your name. And I ask it all in the name of Jesus. Wash me, cleanse me, forgive me in Jesus' name. I want you to stand right there, right where you are. I want every one of you out there to reach down and I want you to take your communion set. And if you're at our campuses, you can, you can do this also. Those of you down front, don't worry about it. If you've got it, great. If you don't, don't worry about it. We'll, you can pick one up on your way out and have communion right in your car. But Jesus said, well, there it goes. What Jesus said, thank you, darling. I appreciate that. Did you wash your hands today? Amen. We're good. We're good to go. Praise the Lord. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This take and eat in remembrance of me. And in this movement, in this moment, I speak healing to your body. Take, receive in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, this is my blood and it's washed every one of you. Take, drink all of it. This do in remembrance of me until I come. Take and receive. 
We hope you've enjoyed this teaching by Jensen Franklin and thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Your prayers and financial support make these programs possible. For more information about this message and other ministry resources, visit us online at jensenfranklin.tv.